0: Hello, and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. I am your host, moderator Tom Reed, joined today by our fine Penguin writers, Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. And we've got a lot to get to, including a divisional champion, your Pittsburgh Penguins, crowned as a divisional champs. A team that when this season started, uh, a lot of the experts were thinking the Penguins were maybe a fringe playoff team. I know there was at least one gambling site out there that had Mike Sullivan to be the first coach that was likely to be fired this year. Uh, Sully made it through the season. The Penguins made it to the very top of the division. I know that they uh, the goal around these parts, as long as Sidney Crosby's still in the lineup, is to win a Stanley Cup. But, Taylor, uh, that's a pretty good run for this team this year uh, to, to get through, to make the playoffs, and not only make the playoffs but win the division. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean – Looking back to the start of the season, when when we were making our picks for you know who who was going who were going to be the four playoff teams, I think you know I had the Penguins finishing fourth, maybe fifth, missing the playoffs. And I know a lot of people kind of had them on that kind of borderline spot. And for them to to not only win it after you know the expectations, but to, to do it in another year where they had so many injuries to battle through, it just it is I mean incredible.
0: Dave, what's what stands out to you? Uh, we, we've covered a little bit of ground here, but some of the things that stand out to you as far as the makings of this team that was able to, to finish on top of a very competitive vision.
2: Well, uh, one thing that I think has gotten overlooked to some degree and, and possibly even overshadowed by the the Jeff Carter acquisition is, you know, some of the offseason moves that, that Jim Rutherford made. Uh, you know some of the people he brought in. Uh, Mike Matheson was not a popular acquisition when he uh, traded uh, Patrick Hornquist to get him. Uh, Cody Cece's signing was not well received. Uh, you know there were uh, quite a few moves that that he made that I think have uh, have certainly been vindicated by by the way guys have have performed uh, yeah. this season. Uh, and also, I mean, the the resilience that the Penguins showed in in the face of incredible adversity. I didn't think they were a favorite to win the division to begin with. And if you had told me they would lose more than 270 man games in a 56-game season because of injuries, I would have been strongly inclined to pick them as as the team that you know of, of the five playoff contenders that that likely would have uh missed.
0: Yeah. No, excellent points. Uh, uh I should have mentioned this at the beginning. We are going to have TSN analyst and former longtime NHL center Dave Poulin on the show. He's going to be talking about Penguins past and present. Uh but you know, you guys, uh, the, the team got back on the ice today. I, I believe it was a, an optional Taylor, uh, can you give us some updates real quickly on some injuries? I know that obviously the goaltenders did not play in that. The t- two main goaltenders did not play in that last game. What's going on with them? What's going on with Malkin, Matheson, Tanev, anything you can tell us there?
1: Yeah. Dave was on the covered practice, but I okay. was on the, the post game call and, and, and I mean, every, Everyone skated. Anyone that could be in, like, in question, Matheson skated. Uh, Rodriguez, Tanev, um, Malkin. Who? There was some questions after the last game, and then Jari and Desmith didn't skate with the main group, but they did skate um, earlier in the morning with Mike Buckley. And 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 uh, Jari and Desmith. Sullivan did say um in the last practice of the regular season that both of them will be ready for for game one of the playoffs so so no concern with with either of those two
2: and it would have been pretty crowded had they been out there because there were three other goalies on the ice there were 13 skaters and and three goaltenders and uh, though the one uh thing of note i mean it wasn't a very long workout and you know it was you know Far from full participation, the players were given the option of either an off-ice workout or uh, the on-ice one. But Mike Matheson wore a full face shield. He had, uh, you know, the previous weekend he got hit in the face with a puck, and uh, they're obviously trying to protect that injury. Whether you know whether that indicates there's a fracture or not is is hard to say. But that you know, the other guys who skated, you know, Tanev looked fine. Um, uh, you know, there was no indication that Malkin was bothered by anything that happened to him on Saturday. So all in all, you know, you don't want to read too much into it, but I'd say it was a, a fairly encouraging workout for the Penguins.
0: Yeah. Again, we're, our focus is now going to be, and rightly so on the playoffs and, and we don't even know exactly who the, who they're going to play yet or where they're going to get started. But I want to make one last little point here on the regular season. And it was the last game. You just never know when, he, when when you're going to really have to to dig down and, and pull guys up uh, to ha- play a key game and and Taylor you were there at the arena the other day Max Legacy I mean what a performance I know we we were sitting uh, uh, I was sitting at a party with uh, uh, some of my family members in Pittsburgh and they didn't even know who this guy was they were asking me and I'm like I can't I'm not even sure I can pronounce his last name but I know that Taylor said Max is going to start. Uh, Not only did he start, I thought he played really well. This wasn't a case where he just made a few saves and the Penguins would win win six to nothing. Uh, What did you make of that performance?
1: Yeah, I mean, a a shutout for him in his his return to the NHL. He hasn't played in the NHL since uh, 2019 with uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Just uh, a great uh, finish for him to the year. You know, he's one of those guys who they were back and forth between the taxi squad and Wilkes-Barre Scranton throughout the year. Um, really tough situation for, for guys like that, probably, especially for goalies, because you figure, you know, when they're on the taxi squad, they're really only out there with, you know, maybe like five guys and those taxi squad skates. So nothing close to like a game, like, you know, situation. Um, he was down, uh, you know, really infrequently in wilkes He only played nine games down there. So even like, I, I watched him in wilkes but even then like just nine games, I wasn't that familiar with him. Um because he, he we, we didn't see a whole lot of him. He was really strong in his last start in Wilkes-Barre, um, May 1st, uh, against uh, Hershey. And, uh, I mean, the one thing of note was he had a lot of really big glove saves, and I think that's what we saw in that game against um, the Sabres, too. He had a one, I think it was, I believe it was in the third period, point blank on Victor Olofsson, uh, you know, when the Penguins were clinging to a one nothing lead. So, uh really cool for him really nice guy uh great to see that uh from him uh like yeah it's a, it's a cool story to to close out the season
2: yeah i think he was the final embodiment of of what has become a <clears throat> hockey cliche of next man up yeah. but the the penguins you know re- really added substance to that concept this year where because of all the injuries they had um including the the ones that kept both of their goalies who had handled the previous 55 games out, out of the finale, you know almost invariably whoever was called upon to to step up did so effectively um, you know there's a and there's a division championship to show for it um, it's it, it's really a credit for for an organization that is reputed and I, I think accurately to have, uh, suspect depth. They got an awful lot of mileage out of guys who, uh, you know, were were called upon to handle roles that that were bigger than anybody would have expected going into the season.
1: And I mean, yeah. talking about Rutherford's offseason acquisitions going back. I mean, the two you know depth signings they made. I, I I I don't know if it was opening day for agency or the next day, but I mean, it was uh, Legacy and Freddie Goodrow and yeah. uh just to see the way i mean now both of them stepped up and even in that last game uh gaudreau assisted on on the only goal from from jeff carter so um yeah just really really cool to see things uh come together like that i, t- I talked to wilkes-barre's kids jd forrest after because they they played that later that day i talked to him after and uh, i asked him about legacy and yeah, he pointed out you know freddie gaudreau too he said you know of course uh like always, Wilkesbury has a fingerprint on uh, Pittsburgh's season in, in a big way. So, uh, yeah, cool to see things end the way they did. And while uh, we're
2: giving Rutherford a, a final pat on the back, uh, let's mention that there was a lot of uncertainty about the, you know, wh- the wisdom of, of trying to re-sign Jared McCann last summer or whether it would be prudent to let him walk you know, uh, Rutherford decided that he was worth keeping, and, and I think that decision has certainly been uh, validated
0: by the contribution they got from McCann this year. Yeah, good stuff, and and it's one of those situations we won't know for a couple of weeks how valuable that last win was, but if they advance to the second round and end up having to go to a game seven and have it at home, uh, you, you will maybe look back at this game and say, boy, that, that, Turned out to be a really big win with uh, the last regular season game. We've got a lot more coming on the 66 to 87 podcast, including our interview with TSN's Dave Pullen. Stick around for that. When we come back, we'll hit our roundtable discussions. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. Uh, okay. One of the things I'm interested in talking to you guys about is at the end of every regular season and of course every regular season for the last, I don't know, 50, I have lost track of how many straight years the Penguins have made the playoffs, but, but I always think it's a good time to kind of look and think, how did I feel about this team in the last couple of years going to the playoffs? And I'll start. I did not think the team last year, and I never felt at any point that was a team that was going to make a very deep playoff run. Uh, I remember in 2016 when they won the cup thinking they could win the cup. That team is so good going the way that they were playing at the end of the season. You guys cover this team, Dave. You covered it for a long time. I know you had a little bit of break here and there, but even those years, I'm sure you were following the team. Taylor, we'll start with you. Your thoughts in the last couple of years of how you thought the team would do going into the playoffs compared to maybe how you feel about this group going in.
1: Yeah, I mean, looking at the last two seasons, I I wouldn't say I was very confident. Um, I mean, I thought last year they'd at least make it past the Canadians and that didn't happen. Um, but, I mean, I this is probably the this, – this is definitely the strongest team out of the last three years. Um, I don't know if I would – it's hard to say because, you know, a team winning the division, it usually doesn't mean much in the uh, playoffs. I mean, what, the last time the Penguins won the division was – 13-14, uh, and that's the year that they blew a 3-1 series lead to the Rangers in the second round. Um, so, I mean, the division title didn't do them very good there. And, what, you look at the Capitals have, I think, won it every year since then, uh, or most of the years since then, and they only have one cup to show for it. So, I wouldn't uh, – um, you know, the division title doesn't necessarily mean they're going to, you know, have a very deep run, but just looking at I, the, the depth this team has and the way they're constructed, I think – You know, at at least this is the most confident I've been in them in the last three years.
0: Dave, jump in there.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I thought that they would certainly beat Montreal in the qualifying round last summer. Although, you know, that was a real wild card situation because, you know, the season had been suspended on very little notice and, and teams didn't play for a few months. But I thought that the talent disparity between them and the Canadians was great enough that you know, the Penguins would be able to overcome that. Uh, obviously, that wasn't the case. Uh, the year before that, I don't know that I saw them as a cup contender. But I do wonder if the series that ended up in a sweep by the Islanders might have played out differently if the Penguins had won the first game on Long Island, which went to overtime. Mm. Um, you know, that could have changed the complexion of the series at, at that time. You know, the Penguins were not too far removed from, from two Stanley cups and the previous year, I think they had basically run out of gas in, in the second round yeah. against the Capitals after the the cup runs, the two previous years. So, you know, there was still a, a pretty good level of, uh, of confidence. And I think if they had gotten the, the 1-0 lead on, on the Islanders, you know, as I say, that that series uh, possibly would have, would have played out differently. But I don't think that, uh, you know, regardless of how round one went, that, that the Penguins were going to be around for four rounds and win all of them that year.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I am not sitting here thinking that they're saying they're going to win the Stanley Cup or even get to the Cup, but I I do feel just with the, the and we, we touched on this in the last show the balance that they can put out offensively. Now get, defense is a different situation if they can keep the puck out of the net. And Dave, you wrote a nice uh, uh, talking point. I oh, know it was your it was your ten thoughts about the the, the the key, and I agree with you is is keeping the puck out of the net. But they do I think have the the kind of offensive balance and depth that they're, they should be able to score goals against whoever they play. Uh, it will be interesting. And I, I think all of us can't wait for this, uh, this little, this little break to end here and as we wait for the North to kind of get their act together and get finished up. Uh, I, I want to talk to you too. And, and Dave mentioned these two defensemen in the first segment, but I want to go a little bit more in depth here, Taylor. Um, as Dave kind of alluded to, there wasn't, I think, a, a, a ton of like, oh, my gosh, we just got Cody Cc and Mike Matheson uh, in the offseason. I can't wait to go out and get a Cody Cc jersey. Uh, your thoughts on, on at the time when they made those deals and how have you seen those two play out this season in the Penguins lineup?
1: Yeah, I actually remember after they bought out Jack Johnson seeing, you know, takes on Twitter from fans, like, oh, now Rutherford's going to go out and do some totally goofy like get Cody Cece, and then that's (laughs) what he did. Um, (laughs) But, uh, I mean, I I remember writing something before the season started, kind of just looking at, you know, like the underlying numbers between the two and how neither of them were necessarily even that bad uh, last year, even – Though you know they were very popular, I guess, especially Ceci, uh coming from Toronto. But I, 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 mean, they they had to have been an upgrade over the pairing of, of Johnson and Schultz. Um, and uh, and I mean, they they were pretty much from the beginning. I, there was maybe a little rocky start the first you know couple of weeks, but uh, definitely an upgrade. But then just as the season went on, um, I mean, what I mean, they, they they became the second the second pairing because they were just that solid. Um, and I, I think, I, I don't think we could have predicted it coming into this season, but it kind of creates a, an interesting, um, uh, you know, debate of, you know, who, now who do they protect in the expansion draft coming up? Because I don't think, you know, coming into this season, anyone would have thought that, you know, Madison or CC would have even been in consideration for one of those spots to be protected. But now it's like, I, I, I wouldn't want to lose either of them uh, just because they've proven to be that that valuable.
0: Dave, just kind of your same thoughts on, on, on these two guys, where your, where, your, where your thoughts on they were at the beginning of the year and how you've seen their seasons play out.
2: Well, um, I mean, I really didn't see all that much of CeCe when he was with the Senators and with the Leafs. So, you know, I didn't have any firm opinion on him one way or the other uh, before they signed him. Uh, Matheson, I thought, was a worthwhile gamble. Um, you knew that, that there was a good chance that the Penguins' power play could suffer, at least in the short term, uh, by uh, losing Patrick Hornquist in the, in the trade. Uh, but you know, Mike Matheson had done enough good things in Florida a few years ago that the, that the Panthers gave him an eight-year contract. Um, that's, that's quite a commitment. Yep. And, you know, I, I think that, that the Penguins have gotten as, you know, the, the Matheson that, that they were hoping for. I think he's kind of a Paul coffee light where, you know, he keep, he's capable of keeping things interesting at both ends of the rink, although not quite to the extreme on on either the good or the bad side a, as coffee was uh but you know he's an excellent skater he has serious offensive uh, ability and instincts uh and i i do think they outweigh you know the defensive lapses that uh creep into his game occasionally um you know, I I don't have any reason at this point to to second guess my you know my early inclination that that the gamble that uh, Rutherford made uh, in executing that trade w-
0: was worthwhile. You know, I think it's always interesting when you when you look at players, especially veteran players. Um, sometimes guys need a change in their environment. I think Cody Ceci, who had, I thought was a pretty good player in in Ottawa. In Toronto, and I know the analytics community hated him. Right? Is am I correct on that one, Taylor? He was not a good analytics guy.
1: It, it, see, it depends uh, what numbers you're looking at. I mean, there are definitely some, of, you know, that were bad. But um, the what I wrote, what I talked about, what I wrote before the season, like you know, his isolated impact. It it really just he he wasn't that notab- notable, positively or negatively on offense or defense. He was just kind of there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are definitely some numbers that did make him look good, but. Um, I don't know. I think the ones that, that matter, it, he was just not making much of an impact either way.
0: Dave, I mean, to, to my point, sometimes guys just need to get out of an environment. Am I, am I right? Sometimes just a change of scenery, uh, playing with a good team, not that Toronto was a bad team and you know, the Panthers made the playoffs last year, but they, those two seem to have, have a kind of a new lease on life in Pittsburgh.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's very much the case, and they're hardly the first two in hockey history to kind of get their careers back on track when when they get a uh, change of venue. Um, And I mean, if anything, as as a pairing, I, I think they've exceeded expectations because I think the Penguins would have been quite satisfied if they had come in and simply been an effective number three. Yeah, but instead, when the uh, I think it's it's safe to say that the Pedersen Marino tandem um, hasn't performed to expectations for a significant part of the season, uh, and so they they were able to be dropped down to effectively become the third pairing uh, because CC and Matheson played well enough to take take those second pairing minutes.
0: And Taylor, do you think that helps? Uh, John Marino a little bit you know you always hear about the, the second season for defensemen sometimes guys take a step back do you think uh, this will help Marino in the long run as, as as opposed to if he continued to struggle the way he was struggling and I, and I know he was playing on this offside for a while that this will just allow him to get through this season and kind of will reassess where these guys are next year
1: yeah, I mean Marino didn't, you know, really have a have a bad season. It, may, it definitely was a step back from his, uh, you know, rookie season. But yeah, having uh, CC on that right side, it, you know, if he does stick around, um, I, I I I'd hope he would. Uh, should be good for him, you know. It just it doesn't have to be relied upon that much. That there's not that much pressure on him.
2: And right. I think Marino has largely righted the ship. Sure. Oh yeah. You know yeah. he he had a tough go early, but you know i i think he's uh gotten back into a, a pretty productive groove and i would expect that he will you know get better in coming seasons he is just a second year pro kind of yep. take him for granted now but he still has uh some learning to do and i you know like most guys from harvard i think he's capable <laughs> of learning
0: yeah
1: and i i, I just think it.
0: yes I just think this was this this worked out perfectly. I mean, it, not only bringing those two guys in, but just letting just uh, just letting Marino catch his breath a little bit. As you said, he's second half of the season, he was fine, uh, and I just think that uh, I think that it's all going to work out f- for him in the long run, and I think this this will benefit him just a little bit going forward in his career. All right, last bit of business in this segment before we we move on with Dave Pullen. Uh, today, the, the, I think today or yesterday, I think it was, uh, on Monday, uh, the NHL made public all of their Masterson, uh, trophy, uh, nominations. And, uh, here in the Pittsburgh, uh, chapter, uh, Casey DeSmith was, uh, this year's nominee for the Masterson, which will go to one of the, one of the players representing the league teams. Uh, Taylor, tell me a little bit about why Casey DeSmith uh, ended up being the, Uh, nominee this year
1: you know I voting for this I I don't think the Penguins really had a very good pick uh you know this year uh I mean I'm looking at the voting right now um and it wasn't even close you know Casey Dismith was was the runaway uh with you know he had seven first place votes no one else had more than three and it was Crosby after him uh Crosby was you know the second place vote, and then Freddie Freddie Goodreau was the third place uh uh oh. in the voting. I know <laughs> it would have been cool to see him win it too but um yeah, it just it's not supposed to be like a comeback player of the year award, but that's kind of you know Smith had it just because he spent the year in Wilkes-Barre last year um mm-hmm. and then he came up and he did well um so i i that's what that's why he got it, and that's you know also why you know Freddie Guderrero got some votes too. Um, I think if Freddie Gaudreau would have, you know, been around for their full season, maybe he would have uh, made a stronger case for it. But I mean, looking around the, the, the other nominees for other teams, I mean, I really don't think DeSmith has like a shot in hell of winning it or even being a finalist. Um, Oscar Lindblom is the nominee for the, the flyers. Sure, I think he's sure. gonna, yeah. He's going to run away with it. Even looking at, you know, guys that came up from the minors, like DeSmith did, like uh, Dustin Tchaikovsky mm-hmm. T- T- is the Sabres nominee. Like if, you know, you're looking at guys to come up from the minors, like or, you know, they persevered in that way. I think you know, Takarski's a better story than De Smith. So, um, it, it's I guess nice for De Smith but I, I don't think uh, he's he's going to win the whole thing or even you know, give him any votes.
0: Yeah, I should have mentioned this at the beginning. The the award uh, largely the, the the one word that you would think of when you think of the master, Masterson is perseverance. You're persevering through either something that's happened in your career or in your life uh, with Oscar Lindblom, obviously his story is pretty well known with battling back from, from, from cancer. Um,
1: Or it becomes the older, the older guys award, what Patrick Marlowe for the Sharks, the the Caps nominee, David, you know uh, it's, it's kind of either like a coming back from like an illness or something like Lindblom or, uh, or like you were bad last year. Now you're good this year, or or you're just kind of, it's, it's such a weird award.
0: Yeah, and Desmith has certainly uh, he he's certainly waited for his chance, Dave. And I I think by and large he's he's done a pretty nice job this season when called upon, especially early in the year when 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 Jari had some struggles. Oh
2: yeah, very very much so. I mean Desmith uh, executed his role as as the backup goalie very well. But I mean when it when it comes to the the Masterton. Um, you know, coming back from Wilkesbury is impressive, but coming back from cancer, yeah, uh, is, is a few notches above that. So, I mean, I, I agree. It's difficult to uh, to see how anybody is going to finish ahead of Oscar Lindblom, and uh, you know, we hope that uh, Oscar Lindblom is is the last NHL player who ever has to come back from cancer.
0: Yeah, it was
1: well, cool. I think- that I was ahead, saying, I think, I think you know Lindblom is going to win it. Uh, for the other two finalists, um, I, I just go with Marlowe. I mean, because he, he did set you know the the games played record this year. And uh, but uh, I mean, even looking at other goalies like Jack Campbell with uh, Toronto and just the season he had and the the run he went on, and he's a guy that you know wasn't was with the minors not that long ago, not last season, but you know the season before that. Um, there are you know some some good stories looking around the league. Uh, it's so I mean, it is a good year. I think for the for the Masterton, I just think the Penguins didn't have an especially great candidate this year.
0: Well, I, I last thing on 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 Limblom, it was it was cool. I think it was I don't know if it was Saturday. Those pictures circulated of what he looked like a year ago when you know because of uh, the rate chemo and radiation, he had no hair, and now he's got that he's got his usual thick uh, thick blonde hair again. So yeah, that, that's a really good story. But again, Casey DeSmith is 29 years old. You know, usually when you have a 29-year-old backup, that means he's probably played for years in the NHL and just has bounced around. And I think he's played pretty well. So let me ask you guys this. If if for some reason Jari were to get hurt or had a a couple of bad games, and boy, when you say a couple of bad games in the playoffs, that usually can get you a bounce. But what is your level of confidence in Casey Smith having to play a playoff game if he's pressed into service, Taylor?
1: I don't know. I mean, he, he did have, you know, some, some good runs throughout the season. Uh, but I mean, if he, if they have to turn to him as the number one, just temporarily,
0: if, if, if he has to do a Frank, Peter Angelo, if he has to play one or two games, uh, again, you never want your backup to play because that means something has happened to your starter, but could he get you through a game or two in the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I mean I I suppose he could. Uh, again, I it's not something that I'd, I'd think that, you know, they it would be good if they had to turn to him for an extended period of time, but um he's he's certainly capable of, you know, keeping them in and if he if he had to come in for, you know, a game or two.
0: And Dave, we've seen this. We saw this a lot last year in the playoffs. Teams having to again, maybe like you said it was a bizarre wild card type of year, but we've seen this in recent years where teams you end up using both of their goalies and not just a game where they're getting blown out 6-1 to one and the guy plays 18 minutes of mop-up time. We've seen teams use both goalies in the playoffs the last couple of years. Your thoughts on if Smith could give you a game or two along the way?
2: Oh, I, I think he could. I think they would prefer to avoid a situation where <clears throat> he had to. But, you know, he's shown this season that he, he's able to – get his game to a pretty high level but he is the backup for a reason right um and you know in today's nhl with the salary cap you're probably not going to be able to afford to have two guys who are capable of being number ones you know even if you're able to find and develop them you're probably not going to have room on your payroll for them so you know i i think Casey DeSmith is as good a backup as the Penguins could hope to have uh, under these circumstances.
0: Yeah. All right. Good stuff in the roundtable segment. When we come back on the 66-87 to podcast, we will be joined by TSN analyst and former longtime NHL center Dave Poulin. Please stick around. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Radio. And as promised, we are joined by TSN analyst and former longtime NHL center, Dave Poland. Dave, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? My pleasure. Busy time
3: here. Everything is winding up and uh, and all is good up here in the North Division. It's just so hard to keep track of what else is going on in the NHL. You've really <laughs> got to, to exercise your contact. And talk to a lot of people because you're so focused on what's going on in your own division right now.
0: Right, Dave. One of the reasons we wanted to have you on here, and 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 probably some longtime Penguins fans won't want to hear it from from the hero of Game Seven in in 1989. But but you do such a good job covering the league, and also you have a kind of a unique uh, situation in the fact that you were a a teammate of Ron Hextall. And uh, you also, I think you, if my memory serves here, you were, Brian Burke was your agent. And then you ended up working with Brian uh, Burke at, with one or two uh, franchises, correct?
3: Yeah. Burke and I go back a long way. So he was my agent from 83 through 87 uh, when he left the business. And then we worked together As well in Anaheim, when he was a general manager, I worked as a pro scout for him and then together with the Leafs for five years. So we have a long, long history. And of course, I played together in Philly and we would have first met um, probably at the 86 training camp and then became teammates or 85 training camp and then became teammates the following year and and had a real good run together in Philly. So um, and, and two guys I've kept in touch with and close touch with along the way, so both very good friends and longtime acquaintances in the business side.
0: Uh, Dave, the last time I talked to you was for, we were doing a working on a story on, on, on a And I think everyone around the league was wondering how this partnership was going to work out uh, with, with Burke. Uh, you've seen it now that them play out the season, they end up winning the division. Uh, what are your thoughts from having known both of those guys of how you think that's gone so far?
3: I'm not surprised at all that this worked effectively. And, you know, I, the one thing about Brian that I don't think maybe from the outside, you'd appreciate as much as from the inside is he does do your job. And, you know, I worked, I'll be getting a different role with him. He was the general manager and I was the vice president of hockey operations. And so we worked closely together and I ran the American hockey league team, the Marlies and, you know, Berkey, he he is great at staying in touch um, you know, great at communicating, but lets you do your job. And ultimately, he, you know, he'll opine certainly, and he'll weigh in, but he lets you make the decisions. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that's a perfect fit for Ron. And and also, as you well know, with Berkey, as you witnessed in a brief time, he's been in Pittsburgh. Um, he likes to be out in front and he, you know, he, enjoys the public he enjoys that part of it the public speaking part of it and the connection part of it to the community and all those things and that allows Ron to basically just focus on the hockey side so not a surprise at all to me guys that that they're you know that they have and I'm not you know they didn't know each other that well when they got together they never worked together and but a lot of respect for each other and knowing each other from a distance and and uh, I'm not surprised at all that this worked out effectively in Pittsburgh
0: Dave, uh, at the trade deadline, there were a lot of moves made. Of course, the Taylor Hall move was a big deal. Washington made some trades. Uh, one that may have flown under the radar a little bit just because of his age is Jeff Carter coming here into Pittsburgh. Obviously, a guy that uh, Ron Hextall very well, do very well from his time in Philadelphia and in L.A. And I think of people, at least around Pittsburgh, think that deal has worked out pretty good. I know, again, your focus is on the North Division, but what have you thought of Carter in Pittsburgh? Well,
3: he's been a terrific fit, and, you know, for all the right reasons. I mean, I think he fits in perfectly. You know, he's been in spotlight for a long time in L.A., and he slides in now behind Malkin and Crosby and sometimes beside them. But there's some numbers that I think of when I think of Jeff Carter. So on the acquisition side, I look at him, 36 years old. I don't have an issue with it all. And, you know, I mean, the guys do such a great job of staying in shape and you know, you're watching guys play longer than they played in the past. I think my last year was in my 37th year, and I think there were only a handful of guys that age at that point. But with everything available to you now, staying in shape is certainly a much better option than it was back then and to an elite level. Um, but the numbers that stand out to me are 120, and that's how many playoff games he played, and 39, and that's how many goals he scored in those playoff games, and two. And that's how many Stanley Cups he's won. And yes, they have guys who've won multiple cups in the core, but to bring someone in who's won them somewhere else, I think adds a little flavor and a little bit different leadership aspect, and certainly different experiences in those playoff runs with LA. So, it you know, I mean, I look at him as a as a very a smart deadline pickup, but not an overly surprising one. Hexy having worked with them in one with him before, and you know, and, and don't forget he was in Philly with him as well, so prior to going to L.A. So when guys have a long history like that and a long history together of success, wanting to get back together on both sides is just natural.
1: Dave, do you think these Penguins have a long playoff run in them this season?
3: You know, I, I think they could. I'm not as confident in the goaltending, I don't think, as I was, you know, the last couple of runs they had. I mean, don't forget, you know, they won two cups in a row, you know, fairly recently. And people think that's a long time ago and it's not. And and then obviously Sydney has and and, and those guys that were around that first time around have that cup, you know, um, previously. previously so three cup runs. And I think people try and draw Parallels and say, okay, well, you know, what are the parallels? Then at that point, their defense was seen as being, you know, a deep enough team to make a cup run. Um, but they're back to health now, and they look pretty good back there. Um, and, and the goalies have played very well. But having a Mark Andre Fleury, and even though he wasn't the central figure of the entire run in both recent cups, um, having him there, I think, is a difference. So I think if the goaltending holds up and you also look at teams that, you know, they've kept the mileage low on a lot of guys this year. And, and that's a factor, you know, guys that haven't played the full complement of games, even like Malkin, when he gets back and and he's healthy now and, and the mileage is low during the year, that's real danger. And I just, you know, I look around and I look at that division specifically And they've got, you know, three of the four playoff teams are cup winners within the last decade. And they're all senior cores that are trying to make the run. Obviously Boston the longest back to 2011. But, you know, the cores of each of those three teams are still in place. And, you know, and and the senior guys know that this is going to last forever in Washington and Boston and Pittsburgh. So I think it's a really intriguing, intriguing playoff grouping. And, you know, and how it plays out um, is going to be really fun to watch.
2: Uh, <clears throat> Dave, you, as you noted, your your focus is primarily on, on the North. But is there a team or two that, that stands out to you as a, as a favorite for the Cup? And do you think a, a team from the North, uh, the Leafs or uh, – Jets or Oilers uh, are are capable of, of seriously uh, making a run this year.
3: Yeah, I think it's it's so wide open to me in, in each of the four divisions. I and mean, if I, if we start in the West, I like what Vegas has done all year, and you know Colorado is a threat. I think St. Louis is really dangerous, and just exactly what we had talked about. You know, they're a team. Once removed from the cup, but Craig Berube did a great job coaching that group this year because they were all banged up all year long. And they, they weren't getting the goal attending they got from getting the first time through, but they sort of came together late. And so that's the West. I think is going to be really tough. And Minnesota is arguably the, the least team that anyone knows anything about if you're watching them every night. And, and they've had a great year. And then to me, the cup favorite is still residing in Tampa Bay. Um, boy, oh boy, talk about getting two guys back, injected into your lineup, and Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov. You know, when I talked about some of the Penguins with lower mileage, well, Nikita Kucherov hasn't played all year. How fresh is he going to be in this playoff run? Um, so that's going to be a really, really fun division, and and almost along the lines of Minnesota, I put Carolina as as another really good team that people just don't know a lot about. And then up north here, uh, Toronto has to be the favorite guys. They just do. And yet their goaltending you know, is, is still a question. Jack Campbell's had a great year, a phenomenal year. But it's the first time he's seen a starter's role at 29 years old. How is he going to react in the playoffs? And Freddie Anderson is back. He's played a game plus with the Toronto Marlies in the American Hockey League because there are cap implications that prevented him from coming back to the big roster. And, you know, so there's questions in net. Um, Charles' questions in net with Kerry Price. If he comes back and healthy, he changes the scenario. And Pittsburgh hit a stumbling block at the exact wrong time. Now, the team I haven't mentioned is, arguably has the two best players in hockey. <laughs> and, Connor McDavid. and so if you break down each of the four divisions, boy, oh boy, you can make arguments for a lot of teams. But for me, I still think Tampa you know, from where I sit because of what they've been through, because of the depth they have, it still has to be a favorite.
0: Uh, Dave, we'll get you out here on this. Uh, you know, we're talking obviously about the Penguins' chances here and now, but you certainly had a chance to see uh, 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 the first uh, iteration of the Stanley Cup Penguins coming together in the late 80s and the early 90s Again, you played uh, with that Philadelphia team, that memorable '89 series, where you end up scoring the shorthanded goal that ends up being the game series clinching win. But I'm wondering, as as you guys left and you were moving on, did you guys did you have a sense of how good that Penguins team was going to be? And then, of course, you end up playing them in '91 and '92 as a member of the Bruins.
3: Um, we did. We did for sure. I mean, we knew what we were in for going in. And we'd watched Mario from day one. And you knew how special he was. And you're right. I was a big part of those of those cup teams uh, playing against them with Boston. And even even the next year, I was part of the Washington group that, that knocked them out in the first round. So I was kind of on the front end, on the back end, and both cups in between. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in all those years, but boy, oh boy, you, you just knew how special Mario was and you were watching the pieces fall all around him. And, you know, certainly was in that on defense and the power play was such a weapon, but they were so great around 66 and everybody on the ice was better because of him. And, you know, I, I feel so blessed to have played as much as I did against both he and, and Wayne Gretzky and that, you know, two of the greatest players in the history of the game. They're certainly on everybody's, you know, single hand in terms of the best players. When the arguments start, those are great arguments to have. But I saw them both, you know, through their entire runs. And oh. one of my favorite stories from 89, guys, um, after, before game five. So it was 2 2 in the series and we're at the Weston Hotel down, <laughs> downtown and, and, um, I've told the story, so stop me if I've told it to you. Have I told you this, Tom? Or,
0: no, um, no, you told it to me, but we, but go ahead. This is a great story.
3: Yeah, so Mario, you know, I guess the locals had felt that he'd stumbled a little bit, so I grabbed the paper first thing in the morning before Game 5, and the headlines are, Poulin and Sutter shut down Lemieux. <laughs> and I can you talk about a sick feeling before you eat your Cornflakes, guys. And I've got my coffee, and I'm like, we're not shutting down. Now, Lemieux, come <laughs> on. Yeah. Well, that night, you know, in one of his great performances of all time, Mario went for five goals and three assists in a <laughs> 10-8 victory. And I remember <laughs> laughing after the game saying, yeah, but one of them, one of them was a surety. I wasn't on the ice for that one. Give me a break. <laughs> so, um, showing us what a great player he was and where he was going uh, in, the, in the short distance ahead. So, really good memories. We had a lot of great battles in that old igloo.
0: Yeah. Well good stuff, Dave. So I so we're so thankful that you could share some time. Enjoy the playoff run up there. You know, who knows, maybe in this crazy year, Toronto finally breaks through and and and, and ends their long drought. But it no matter what, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to, to see. Thanks thanks again for joining us today.
3: Okay, guys. Thanks very much. Have a great day.
0: Yeah, that is Dave Pullen. And for Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, this is Tom Reed. And we will talk to you later in the week on the 66 to 87 podcast.